Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall. I've got my co-host Bruce Weiner with me today as well as special guest Stephen Haynes. I want to tell you a little bit about the show, but first, good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. I think um, people are going to understand how much we value estate planning oh, yes. uh, because it's been a topic of conversation lately. And one of the reasons I think it, it needs to be a topic of conversation because Unfortunately, it is at top of people's minds right now because of COVID. Um, you know, we've had many people reach out and say, you know, I, I really need to do something about this. This has kind of awakened me uh, to what the possibilities are. And so I want to get things in order. And so this is why we're kind of focusing on this uh, going forward. Absolutely. And also, good morning, Stephen. Welcome to the show today. Good morning, Rachel and Bruce. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you guys today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I want to give you guys just a sneak peek for what we're talking about today. And Bruce, I think it was a really great lead in as well. Just this idea that estate planning is so important for all of us, especially during this time to really be digging into the things that are maybe a little bit more uncomfortable that we would say, ah, we can just leave those things for the future. We'll get to them someday why not now? Why not really go ahead and lean into those hard things today because that will make tomorrow so much easier and better for you. So here's the, the take on estate planning today. I know we've been having this conversation kind of on an extended basis. And today we really want to dig into how to make estate planning specific to you and your family. Now there's all different kinds of estate planning and we're going to hear a little bit about that today. But if you're considering estate planning, but you're saying, how do I really make sure that this best fits me, my needs, my family? How do I think through the future, not actually knowing what is going to happen, not knowing who my kids are going to turn out to be, not having any idea of exactly how things are going to land, or hopefully I'll live for the next hundred years. But if that doesn't happen, how do I really think through this plan that is going to serve my family best, not just the generic family? And so really today, if you've ever felt like maybe estate planning feels constrictive or your ambitions seem so much bigger than where you are right now, we really want to help you come up with a plan that doesn't feel constrictive or finite, but really something that will serve you best and be able to change with you as you grow. And I think the reason this conversation is so valuable to me and that I think is going to be so valuable to you today is I'm going to share with you what we're doing with our estate plan. And part of the reason we're bringing Stephen into the show, this is Stephen, my friend, uh, longtime friend, and also our attorney who has designed our estate plan as we have updated and made changes that are really specific to what we want to happen or what we want to have happen in our life. So if this long range planning to you in any way feels like wrestling a giant octopus that you just can't get your arms and your head around, I hope today's conversation will help you lean into that a little bit better and figure out a plan for you and your family. So, um, Stephen, I want to tell a little bit more about who you are and what you do, and then we're going to go ahead and start off on the show. So, Stephen Haynes is an attorney with Davis Law Group. He's in Chesapeake, Virginia, so really close and local to me here, 
but they do work all throughout the state of Virginia and even beyond, as we'll let him talk with you about. But he really focuses on estate planning, commercial real estate, business setup and succession planning, and then a lot of emphasis on elder law. And so with that comprehensive perspective that really brings a unique flavor to understanding what the estate planning needs are. And I just really love, Stephen, how you talk about your family as a huge motivator to you and just really feeling that every person's estate plan is really their story. And so um, that's what I'm going to share about you today. I'll let you tell all the rest of the details, but thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So Stephen, let's go ahead and just start off. Tell us, how did you get into estate planning in the first place? What's your backstory? That's a great question. So I started in the law kind of as a happenstance. So mm. I'm still not sure why I'm an, an attorney to even to this <laughs> day. So um, I went to law school to study about something called a benefit corporation, which is kind of a hybrid nonprofit for profit entity with the idea that you can do good with business. What I mm. found is that the family is one of the more foundational organizations that can make an impact on future generations. And most I of those that, families yeah. that are setting up those future um, plans actually run businesses as well. So where better to start than the family to make an impact on the business and then make an impact in future generations through estate planning. Oh, that is so. wonderfully said. I think I mean, I don't want to cut you off here because you're on a uh -huh. roll, but no, just the fine. idea that, I mean, we can think in terms of giant things. We can think of the whole world. I mean, there's even that quote, I tried to change the world. I couldn't. So I tried to change my country. I, I couldn't. I tried to change my state, but I couldn't. I tried to change, you know, everything. And it keeps getting smaller and smaller till finally you say I changed myself. And that was how I had the impact on the greater world. And I think really the family is that. Uh, just that small core unit that you have the most impact and influence on that has a potential to change the world. I love that you shared that. Yeah, and that's really where it originated was, like most attorneys, we all assume that we can draft a will because we've all been taught that wills are cookie cutters. So mm -hmm. when I tried to set up my own will and trusts and um, ancillary documents for my own family, I realized how little I knew because estate planning as i found out is a daily activity so mm. integrating that that plan means communicating with the family on a daily basis especially on a yearly basis and i realized that i was not in any position to create that kind of plan the plan that i wanted to have for my family at that point so that's what kind of set me um into that direction to learn more about estate planning from the legal technical side, but also the unique family value add side as well. Wow. Well, there was so much wrapped in there. I love, uh, we'll come back to that as well. Estate planning is a daily activity. That's, that's profound. And I have so much I could say on that, but I want to get to hear what you have to say um, because really that's the reason why we brought you on the show today. So let's go ahead and, um, yeah, there's just so much that I, I want to say. So let's go ahead and talk about one of the reasons why we chose to work with you in general is that you had this perspective of really saying, how do I expand the conversation beyond just the cookie cutter or the template that we fill in the blanks with all of the things that you're hoping for and deliver that? And Lucas and I had been doing some tremendous work in terms of trying to understand how to 
develop a family bank, how to set up generational wealth, how to use life insurance as a tool that would then buy additional life insurance in successive generations. And how do we keep the wealth in the family, but not at the detriment of, of forcing our, our way of thinking or our goals and vision onto generations that come after us that we'll never know. But how do we use wealth to be that foundation that future generations can succeed? And so you had introduced us to complete family wealth, um, which thank you for letting us borrow your book. And we got some other books from that same, um, same authorship with, um, Jay Hughes, am I saying his name correctly? Jay Hughes and then Keith Whitaker, who we just had on the show. And so I knew that you were thinking very comprehensively in terms of how do we solve these types of problems. And just for disclosure here on the show as well, Bruce is set up as a trustee of our personal estate. And so there you have the relationship piece. And so we're just going to talk about some of those tensions that maybe you are thinking about and trying to solve in your own estate planning and how to think through them. So um, let's first talk, what would you say are some of the tensions or the, the contrast, the challenges between transferring assets outright and what normally might happen with certain ages and delivering an estate to, to kids or transferring them in trust? And then we'll talk about what we did. So that is a lot of questions in one question. So I'll try to break that down as best as possible. But there's a difference between the legal tension and the financial transfer tension and then the relationship tension. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to pair both of those together. When you talk about the distribution part of it, though, when you talk about distributing in trust versus outright, you're really talking about efficiency and cost or asset protection. And so with the outright distribution, you're looking at a more efficient transfer, but in certain situations, that's not the best way to plan. And Let's so, back up just for a second. Yeah. I didn't define this very well. So if you're listening, you're like, what in the world is an outright transfer? What is a transfer in trust? So can you explain that first, Stephen? Yeah, so with a trust, uh, and uh, this may come up in the future in this conversation, but the metaphor I like to use is a treasure chest. So by creating a trust, you create this treasure chest as the grantor, the creator of the trust, that the trustee has legal title by holding the key to that treasure chest. So you put assets into that treasure chest, and then upon certain triggering events, you pass that down in a treasure chest potentially to your beneficiaries, whether it's your children or charities or whoever it may be. And so by transferring it into that treasure chest, potentially someone else holds the key to the assets held in that treasure chest for your children. And so you as the creator of the trust can set rules for making those distributions to the children. When it's outright, that goes directly to the bank account of your beneficiary, whether it's your child or other beneficiary. And it's tied up in your, that child's life so their creditors, claimants, divorcing spouses can all potentially attach those distributions because they now have both control and ownership of those assets. So, and I like how you shared that. So basically, if you're transferring assets outright, it would be I, the owner of this trust, this, the owner of my assets and my estate, if I pass away and my husband, so there's nobody left in my 
my generation of our trust ownership, then what usually would happen is maybe at age 18 or the age of uh, majority, I think you call it in legal terms, um, maybe at 18, they get half of the assets. And then maybe at 25, they get the other half, or maybe it's in thirds. And then essentially what can happen is the child then at whatever age, they get a huge chunk of money in. And then we can think through that. Not only can people who know that child access the money, but also there's the the question of does that facilitate their long-term flourishing and their growth and their stewardship of these resources to grow wealth in each generation? Or is it like, we don't actually know if they're mature enough to handle the money at this time. We're just going to give it to you anyways. Maybe it's $2 million that you get at age 18. What is the psychological change that's happening in that child's life I have all this money. I'm just going to go spend it. And hopefully they're mature enough to be able to handle it well. But that was really kind of the tension and the challenge that we were wanting to avoid. Just saying, we want to make sure that this estate that we have, that we pass on whenever we pass away, is something that is going to help encourage them to be a whole person, not just a spending person. Yeah, because finances are really only a tool. So. I know that you guys have the same perspective, but yes. when you receive it, if you're not, if you are not mature enough or skilled enough to handle that tool that's been given to you, then it can be a problem. I can only speak for myself, but if I were to receive my, what I currently have as life insurance on myself at age 18, it would have been a problem. And right. so that would have been something that hopefully my parents planned for so that I would have time to learn those skills and have relationships like Bruce as the trustee to help me acquire those skills and teach me and grow me mm -hmm. uh, so that whenever I am able to utilize those resources, it's used well and used um, with the intent that the creator of the trust had. Absolutely. Let's just talk real briefly, Stephen, if you can touch on the taxation as well. So um, just when would a child be taxed on assets? What is that gift limit right now? And how can that be changed in the future? Okay, so that is a really broad question. And I'm not a CPA. So That's totally fine. I, yeah, so this is a very high, high elevation answer to that. Perfect. So there are different kinds of taxes for inheritance. So there's the federal estate tax exemption, which is currently about 23 million for a married couple with portability. It's about 11 and some change for a single individual. And so unless that individual transfers more than that, then the estate won't be taxed. However, you have to also consider gains taxes as well. So the beneficiary would receive a step up in basis potentially for any capital gains for the assets acquired by the decedent, the, the person that passed away. Um, and then planning through life insurance, you guys can talk more about that. There are ways to bypass um, paying taxes completely. So yeah, let's different tools. Even that's good. Let me really quickly talk about step up because people might not know what exactly we're talking about. Yeah. So whenever you you um, actually obtain an asset, whether it's a stock, a business, a piece of property, or something, there's a there's a acquisition cost, and then hopefully that asset 
appreciates in value. Mm-hmm. And if you were to sell that asset, uh, in general, if you were to sell that asset, whatever you would have to pay capital gains tax on whatever the difference is on the acquisition cost, and then when you actually sold it. So the difference between those two numbers. However, what Stephen is saying is, and once again, I guess we have to do this disclosure. I'm not a CPA either. And I'm uh, not either. There uh, but the fact of the matter is I've sat in on hundreds of these transactions. Um, and the fact of the matter is then uh, under our current tax law uh, here in 2020, if you were then to pass away and those assets go to the next generation, in general, they now get a reset of their of their cost basis. So if the cost basis is the original acquisition cost and it has grown to here and you pass away, now your new cost basis for the next generation is up here. So you do not have to pay the capital gains tax from here to here. They, re- they reset their cost basis at the, at the uh, fair market value at the time of the death. And it is exactly at the time of the death not at the time of the transfer of the asset. It's actually at the time of the death. Correct. Bruce, and I I appreciate you explaining that as well. So we're talking about if you are handing off an estate or any assets that are specifically non-life insurance related. Bruce, do you want to talk to how life insurance works with that? Yeah, in general, um, uh, life insurance, um, uh, interest and um, dividends, are they grow tax-free and they do have a cost basis for them also but under current tax law um, any death benefit that will be passed on to the next entity gets passed passed along tax-free one of the things that gets confusing with clients though let's just use an example uh, two million dollars of a death benefit gets passed on to the children and then the children take it to a an investment advisor or they invested into some kind of online account and then they make money on it they have to pay they have to pay income tax on the money they make on the original death benefit so they turn uh, the 2 million into that, 3 million they pay tax turn, on yes, the 1 million 2 million into 3 million you pay tax on the 3 million many times people get that confused they're like well, wait a minute you told me this this uh, death benefit was tax free to me well, it is tax-free, but we made money on it. Mm-hmm. Now you have to pay taxes on the money we made on it. Which we don't necessarily need to go down this, this trail right now. But if you think, like one of, the we, one of the things that we put in our estate plan that is one of our wishes is that we would want the proceeds or the estate for our children and grandchildren to buy as much cash value whole life insurance as possible. So, Bruce, can you comment on that then? If you use a policy and you put it proceeds into an additional life insurance policy, yeah, and, and um, this would be like a, I guess you would say like step up in basis again. Uh, though technically that's not what it is, but uh, you would take the proceeds, purchase a life insurance contract. Hopefully, all you would be doing is converting a term life into a whole life at that time to uh, preserve the health status of the, um, of the child or the, or the niece or nephew or whomever you're doing it for. And then th- those proceeds would again grow tax-free. 
and they can be accessed tax-free if done uh, properly. When we access them tax-free though, we would be putting them into an income generating uh, uh, entity such as a business mm-hmm. or um, another commodity that we, and then you would have to pay taxes on that, that business income or that uh, other entity. So, uh, but it, it would be a p- potentially a potential perpetual, uh, perpetual yes. uh, situation, you know, forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And that's the beauty of working with someone who understands this holistic plan and looking generations into the future because that's really how you build wealth. You can do that through a 1031 exchange with real property as well, where you just keep rolling the gains into um, subsequent properties and you never have to pay the taxes because of the step up that Bruce has been talking about. So when you really take family as a generation, multi-generational organization, if you want to call it that, then you can really get into some tax benefits of transferring assets without having to pay taxes until a later date. Which I love that you're bringing that concept to the forefront because I think that's one thing that is really important to make sure, not just that we're doing things for tax purposes, but that is a side benefit of being able to think this way I mean, if you had a tremendous amount of assets that did flow to your children and that caused them to have an estate tax on that money because it was over a threshold or because the 23 million threshold for a couple was changed by the law and became a 1 million threshold and now your estate is over that, then whatever's over that threshold, then you pay estate tax, which is in the tune of like 40%, isn't it? Today, so... Right. um, who knows if the estate right. tax drops and who knows what the estate tax will be at that point. So. Right. So you look at these factors where we can't predict or control what the tax, the gift tax thresholds will be and what the estate tax percentage will be. And knowing that what I want to make sure is that we don't put a, a situation in place where we thought we were transferring this amount of a, an estate and then it is tremendously shrunk or reduced by taxes, which then won't achieve the entire, the, um, the intended benefits. So the tax is the one piece, but I think what's really interesting is when you hold assets in trust, then if at whatever point the estate passes to your children, you're in a position where they're not going to get the money outright. That's going to be held in trust. And Stephen, maybe you can talk about who holds the key to the treasure chest in that case. And, and then how we can make sure that you're facilitating why the trustee relationship is supposed to be a relationship, not just a, um, a guard on spending the money. Yeah. And this is really dependent on the unique situation. So in some cases, you really need a guard. So you need someone to really control as a trustee the distributions like a supplemental needs trust where you're distributing to make sure that um, government benefits are protected for the beneficiary, but they can still utilize trust assets to maximize their quality of life. Sometimes you have substance abuse issues or spendthrift issues where the child really can't control the spending. And so you need someone to act as a gatekeeper for the trust. Mm -hmm. But that's not what we're working towards. So what 
your family and the families that I work with are really working towards is building a relationship where the beneficiary understands the expectations and understands the relationship aspect between the trustee. And so they can maximize the benefit of having control of the assets, but not the ownership, which mm -hmm. gets you into the, the creditor protection and the asset protection benefits of receiving the trust inheritance. And so having that relationship is extremely important because that trustee can serve as a mentor for the beneficiaries to teach them how to utilize this tool that's been passed down. Um, and then we we're talking about taxes as well. And what you guys work so hard for in your trust is that even if the taxes are high, or even if the estate is minimal, what you've passed down is the values and the principles that you're working towards in your family. So no matter what the assets are, or the tax implications, your children are going to be able to pivot and maximize whatever they receive to grow that and continue the multi-generational flourishing, the word that you used earlier, over, you know, hopefully hundreds of years. And so that's the ultimate goal. Absolutely. The ultimate goal, the individual flourishing and the flourishing of your long-term multi-generational family that you're thinking forward towards. And you brought several elements into play. And so one thing I want to talk about is if you're going to transfer your assets in trust, you need a trustee that you trust. And I know that sounds like a, uh, you know, uh, that I'm being silly here, but really what's, what's most important is not just, well, hey, here's my kids and here's the money and here's the person standing between them as a guard, but does the trustee have the mindset and the congruence of thinking and the relationship with the people who originally put the estate in place? to facilitate what those goals and wishes are. So two parts I want to talk about. One, how do you select a good trustee and facilitate that relationship? And then two, we put together what's what we call a memorandum of trust where we put our, our vision and our purpose and our value system in place and wrote it down for the trustee, for our future future generations, but for future beneficiaries of our trust to read and understand our purposes so can you first talk a little bit about that and then we can even talk about how we um, selected the trustee and then what we did with the writing? Yeah, so with that question, the first, the first question is how do you select a trustee? So the first is that they have to be administratively capable of handling all the facets of administering a trust. So the communication aspect, the management of the assets held in trust, the taxes, or at least coordinating the professionals to handle all of the administrative tasks of the trust. However, you can get trustees that are so administratively capable that they can't acknowledge the relationship aspect. And so you guys, like you said earlier, chose Bruce that has both of those. So he has mm -hmm. the professional background, but also the relationship aspect with you guys and knowing your intent, but also your children. And so one thing that you guys did that I really enjoyed was that you brought your kids to the signing. So that's Both extremely important <laughs> because 
even though they were bored and yes. <laughs> it wasn't overly exciting. Occasionally my clients will have a laugh or two in the, the signings or our meetings, but um, it's pretty in-depth stuff. Mm-hmm. But the overarching principles of what you're setting up can easily be communicated to even a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so um, I thought that was really important because they already had the expectations set, even though they may not fully comprehend the legal and tax implications. They understand that whoever you've set up is looking out for their best interest even though they may not have full control or ownership of the assets that you're passing down to them. Yes. And what's really interesting about that is um, somebody that we had talked to, I think it was actually Keith Whitaker had mentioned the attorney that he worked with Jay Hughes had something that he would always encourage people to write at the beginning of their trust. And I am going to butcher the words. I know I wrote it down earlier after the conversation, but it was something like this trust is meant is a gift of love. It was something Yeah, And it was really important that beneficiaries hear that it's not just, I'm giving you money because I have to, or I'm giving you money because I'm rich. And I set up this trust because I don't trust you. Yeah. Right. And that's, that is exactly what they interpret when they receive it and don't know anything about it beforehand. So they're automatically at least in my experience, their automatic interpretation of someone else holding the key is that my parents didn't trust me. And so you really have to start that conversation. And I'd even go as far to say is that even writing that isn't enough unless they know that that's what you meant by your actions. And so um, I can write a lot of nice poetic things in a trust, but unless they know that, by interactions with the parents, then it's still going to be a barrier. It's still going to be a gatekeeper between them and their money. Mm. So they really have to own that the the parents did it out of love. Well, I, I think, think that we talked about this is that in in today's um, in today's environment, you know, doing a video uh, that you can actually they actually know the words are coming out of your mouth. And not just uh, written on a piece of paper by somebody, probably the lawyer who told him to do this yeah. would be something that may help in that situation. So uh, what I what I think uh, people uh, need to communicate when it comes to trust with their children is that it's not that they don't trust you. It's just that um, experience comes with age and wisdom comes with age. And so it's not that they don't trust you. It's just that they know that there's things along uh, the path of a person that doesn't come um, until certain experiences are had. Mm -hmm. And that is the message I would think that should should come up. I mean, even going back to the child and saying, let's say it's a 16-year-old child that you're having this conversation with and say, you know a lot more today than you did four years ago when you were 12, right? You know how to do this and this and this. In the future with the trust, you know, if something does happen to us, we are going to say, well, let's say at 25, you're going to get this. And at 30, you're going to get this and at 35. Not because we don't trust you, but you're going to have many more life experiences. And frankly, because we also want to protect you from outside influences, such as creditors, changes in relationships. Um, bad economies, 
you know, mm-hmm. th- just things that could cause you to lose this money out of no fault out of your own. Mm-hmm. And having that open conversation, that real quick and open conversation with them to show that this is a this is a document that actually transfers wisdom and love to you, not just a restriction because you didn't you don't trust me. You don't think I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Bruce, that is so well said. And I think it's part of, I mean, just being as a parent and being a person who's putting an estate plan in place right now. I mean, I think about this. I have an eight-year-old girl and I have a one-year-old girl. And I'm thinking, okay, well, the eight-year-old, we've been able to give a lot of life lessons to, but she's still eight. There's no way we're able to have the type of conversation that we would have if she was now 16 or if she was now 25. And and the baby, I mean, there's no way she's conceptualizing anything about money that we're talking about all around her on a regular basis. And so thinking that, well, today I want to put an estate plan in place that will serve me and my family if something were to happen in 15 years from now. And so you're thinking, how can I put something in place that's going to be the best that I know today to serve them and to facilitate these end goals and the vision for our life together. And so part of the the challenge and the tension I see in estate planning is, well, what might be good today right now might not be the same thing that will be good 20 years from now, given what life experience will come along the way and how they'll mature and what relationships they'll have. Things could be different. And that's why you would then update your estate plan to reflect that, right? Yeah. And um, something that I think that you guys really implemented well is that something that doesn't change are the principles. Mm-hmm. So the principles that you guys integrated into your memorandum of trust that works um, together with your, uh, what people normally think of as an estate plan, the trust, the legal documents, those things don't change. So the learning, the faith, those work ethics, those things, mm-hmm. those values, those principles aren't going to change, even though the law may change, even though the kids may become more mature, those principles that you guys set in stone aren't going to change. Mm-hmm. So you may learn more about those principles and how you integrate them into your family, but those principles are unlikely to change significantly. Absolutely. And so this is, I love that you mentioned that because I think in general, in any of our lives, if we think about what are the tactics that we're using today, those are something that feels so movable. I mean, that could be all over the place based on the economy, based on the current business environment that you're in. But if you go beneath the tactics and you look at, well, what strategy, what overarching life strategy and vision do we have? And beneath even that, what are the principles? What are the foundational, absolutely never changing, this is who we are part of your legacy and your estate plan, I think that is really important to be able to transfer both of those and to use the money to facilitate those, that backbone of who you are as a family. And so um, I'm going to pull a couple threads together real quick. And then I actually have, I want to go to another section of the conversation. So you had mentioned the estate planning is a daily conversation. And I think this goes hand in hand with the idea that you can't live your life one way. And then all of a sudden the estate plan is this beautiful, loving thing that you're like, well, that wasn't even how my parents were, were towards me at all. And where are these values coming from? Because we never talked about that and how in the world that doesn't even seem like my parents. And so I think what's really important is 
I think about doing this hard work of digging in, putting the values down on paper that is challenging to do, but it helps you then say, how do I calibrate my life to live up to this in everything? How do I use that as almost like this, this stake in the ground or this like this line in the sand or this territory that I'm staking out that I'm saying, okay, this is what I'm living for. And this is who I am. And this is who my family is. And now that it's written down, I communicate it more regularly because it's in my conscious brain instead of just in the unconscious. And so you're bringing it out, it out into the forefront and that connects that it's a daily living. It's not just uh, an on paper legal document. Um, so that was one piece. Now, as we thought through and talked about, okay, if something were to happen to Lucas and I, my husband and I, how would we want this money to be used? And there's this interesting piece of that where you can say, well, I can line by line say only $25,000 for college tuition and leave it at that. Or I can say $25,000 for college tuition in the freshman year adjusted for inflation at 3%. There's so much. So I could I could specifically articulate exactly how much of this money is supposed to be used for each thing that was important to us in our life. Or I can say I'm leaving the discretion open to the trustee. Or I can leave it completely open-ended and just say education is valuable to me in as much as it helps you with your career goals, but not just as I think you should go to college because that is our our value system and our family is, is that higher education is not a requirement. It's not something you should aspire to unless it facilitates your long-term learning, your continual growth, and your ability then to do more with the gifts and skills and abilities that God's given you. So, so let's talk a little bit about that tension. Do you completely articulate exactly what the trustee should do with the money and make them kind of like your, I, I don't know, just the, the, the person who administrates exactly what your line item wishes were, or how do you um, give them more autonomy to make those decisions and then solve the relationship where the kids say, well, I don't think this is what mom and dad would have wanted. And the trustee says, well, I think this is what they wanted. How do you, um, just Stephen, from your perspective, how do you think through that? So that is a very unique question. And I think that your family is an unusual family. We know. Because <laughs> you are intentional. And so it's work. I thought you were just going to say we're unusual because we're weird. No, just kidding. No, because I'm weird. I, I'm much more weird than you guys. So that's, uh, and you know this uh, because we're friends. So yes. Um, you guys are intentional about setting this up and putting in the work on a daily basis and on an annual basis to really dig into what your values are and those sort of things. The easy way to do it is what you described at first at 18, you get 50% at um, 25, you get the remaining 25% at 30, you get all of it. So we're going to assume and we're going to hope and we're going to keep our fingers crossed that by 30, this kid's going to be mature and they're going to understand what to do with this lump sum distribution. That's the easy way to do it. The way that you guys set it up, though, is that you created the estate plan that gives discretion to the trustee and then an instructional manual tied to principles and values and your family story that Bruce is aware of and that the kids are also aware of 
that gives guidelines and instructions, but it doesn't require so that you don't get into any um, legal challenges for from creditors or claimants or relationship issues. So that's the preferred way. A lot of people, though, prefer the easy interval, um, simple cookie cutter way because they don't want to think about it. And so I give you guys credit for actually doing that. And that's why some friends and I are really trying to work on how to guide people through this. So a self-guided platform to help walk through this, um, this conversation in a way that is motivating. And so it's hard. It's hard mm -hmm. work. And unless you want to put in the effort, a lot of people just go with the default. And that's tough, um, especially for people who don't have the family offices or don't have the ability to hire psychologists and coaches and et cetera. Um, integrating this type of planning is hard work. And as a family, you have to choose to put in that work. Bruce, can you share a little bit about your perspective with that as well? I know that this was a significant conversation we had with you as we were trying to figure out how to put things in place. And um, can you just share from your perspective uh, that that challenge and that, sorry, that struggle and tension between articulating exactly and then not knowing how things will unfold or will 25,000 be sufficient for college funding or what if they decide to go to Harvard and is that a decision that you want them to make or not? And there's just so many unknowns that it can be challenging to put all of those things in place. But then can you just speak to that a little bit? I know that was part of our conversation. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, the first thing that I would like to, for the listeners to understand is if you look at this in a long range view, it's almost impossible to mess it up from a financial aspect. And what I mean by that is if you use, um, if you use the, the tool of money and to leverage life insurance in the trust, then even if you mess up with a portion of the, um, the trust assets, the, it, the bucket will get filled back up for the next generation. And so it takes a little bit of pressure off the trustee to say, well, yeah, that we mentioned, you know, not to get ridiculous with education and try to, and try to decide whether it does make sense to, to pay $65,000 to go to this school when you could go to this school for 20. But I really think um, Abby, in this case, will get something out of it. So let's go ahead and spend the extra 40000 over one year or 160000 over four years plus inflation. And if Abby doesn't benefit from this, well, then eventually the, the estate will get filled back up and the mistake wasn't that bad. Um, yes. So that's from the financial aspect. The other aspect then is, are you, you have to then feel a little bit of the mission statement of the family mm -hmm. to make sure that um, Abby doesn't see that as being, oh, see, I can get away with whatever I, I say to Bruce because I'm cute and I'm smart and I can, I can make him feel bad and so on and so right. forth. I, I don't think that will happen in my case, but I am 20 to 25 years older than, than uh, you and not quite as older than Lucas. Mm -hmm. And so I may not be the trustee for the life of the, of the uh, trust. And mm -hmm. so you've selected a secondary trustee that's 
that's younger. And mm-hmm. it will be our responsibility then to talk and say, okay, now who, who do we want to make the trustee after you even? Mm-hmm. And we, we have to not only show them the words of the family mission statement or memorandum, we have to actually talk about the emotions of that and what the family would like to accomplish for the grandchildren, great-grandchildren, so on and so forth. And I think yes. some people, and, I, and Stephen, I think you, um, you've already said this, but I agree, you know, Rachel and Lucas have taken this to the, the step that you would hope everybody would take it to. But the fact of the matter is uh, this attitude throughout our society, unfortunately, is, well, I'll be dead. Uh, it, you know, it won't, be, it won't make that much of a difference. And I've done what I can and so on and so forth. That is why I think our values in our society is, are eroding mm-hmm. because this, we're in such a, we're in such a uh, fast-paced society that people don't have time to sit down and do this. And I think that I, I want to applaud you for trying to make a roadmap for people mm-hmm. to make this more efficient so more people would, will do this. So uh, talking this Absolutely. out with the, the grantor and the trustee, constant communication. Uh, luckily, Rachel and I have constant communication. Mm-hmm. Lucas and I have co- constant communication. Absolutely, That's very, very helpful. But you have mm-hmm. to be intentional and mindful of your wishes going forward, not and not only on that yearly review, right, Stephen? I mean, it really has mm-hmm. to happen more often than that. And that's the beautiful thing about this type of relationship is that once you and Lucas are gone, Rachel, hopefully that won't be for a really long time, but mm-hmm. the goal would be is that the beneficiaries carry on that conversation with Bruce and with your alternate trustee Mm-hmm. The same as if you guys were there because the principles and the values stay the same. If you remove you guys, then those are still a foundation for these types of conversations to facilitate the relationship. And so, yes, yes. And I think it's just, it's interesting stepping into those tensions and saying, okay, well, how do I facilitate and pave the way for this relationship to be as successful as possible if I'm not on the scene. Because if you tie the hands of the trustee, I mean, just even back to my mini example here, but 25000 for college tuition only, what if you forgot about inflation? What if you forgot there's room and board? Oh my goodness. Well, then they can only pay this towards tuition, but then the child has to come up with all their own room and board. And you didn't put that into the 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 legal terms and and how then does the trustee help facilitate the purpose of the trust where their hands are tied? And so there's just a lot of things to work through on a personal basis with an estate planning attorney. And you could even say, Stephen, I remember you mentioned at one point you can have this like a memorandum of trust be a part of the trust, or you can have it be separate standing that more informs the purpose of the trust, but it's not a legal document. It's a supplement. And I know we created ours to be a supplement that expounds upon the trust, but is not the legal, uh, enforceable part of the contract. And um, so I don't know if there's anything brief you want to share on that. Yeah, it's a, so again, it goes back to the asset protection. So do you want to create rules that the trustee has to follow? Or do you want to create guidelines based on the principles and the values? Because even take education, for example, so you're using a number, some people on the reverse side of that, though, say, you have to get a college education before you can get anything. 
And so that goes against the ultimate principle, which is to further your education. But a four-year university, our society has kind of set as the pinnacle of, Mm -hmm. you know, fulfillment and education, which isn't the case at all. And I think you're starting to see some of the reverse of that. Oh, I agree. Um, But yeah, a lot of people, especially wealthier professionals or individuals want to see their kids get that university diploma, but is that education? Probably not. And I think what that comes back to as well is that you as the person setting up the estate or the trust, you are the one who is setting your value system. You don't have to take my value system. You want to articulate and communicate what is your value system? What are the wishes for what does it mean to be part of your family? Not not how do I be like someone else, but how do I articulate and carry on my own vision? And I think what's really important about that is that it helps you to step into that conversation and figure out what it means to, to be you. Um, there's two things I want to share briefly and um, bring in the conversation if we can before we close, which I know we're just at the top of the hour. One thing is that we wanted to always make sure that in our trust, we did not take away from one of our core values, which is individual flourishing and making sure that having freedom and liberty and autonomy is something so important to us to respect the individual person and not say, well, here was mom and dad or, you know, five generations out, here's great, great grandma and grandpa. They forced their way on us. We had to do things exactly how they were. We did not have the freedom to choose our own path in life. That's the opposite of what we wanted to create. So I don't know if that is coming through clearly the way that I'm saying that, but but we wanted to make sure that we're facilitating this individual freedom and personal responsibility. Yeah, and that I think you guys did a great job of that because everyone, like you said, is created for a specific purpose. At least that's what I believe in my faith. And um, that looks different for some. So Abby Mm -hmm. may turn into a multi-gazillionaire and maybe she doesn't need to utilize a trust as much as Olivia that ends up being a missionary or something like that, where she's only making 15,000 a year, but they're still having the same impact because the impact is based on the principles and the values, not necessarily on what they make or what position they hold. And so the trust again is to maximize that individual's um, intellect and capabilities in their own um, path, as opposed to pushing them into, like you said, yours or Lucas's path for them. And I think that was a piece that was just really meaningful that you had shared with us as we were going through the conversation. Um, We'll leave this kind of on the side just because we're at the top of the hour here, but the whole idea of figuring out how do I keep this family wealth together, but also make sure that I help children? And how do I think about equality versus um, what's fair? And so just figuring out, do I create two separate trusts for my two separate children or five trusts for my five kids? And is that dividing the assets or is that actually increasing the strength of the family? And so um, we're at the top of the hour. If you have another moment, you are welcome to comment on that. I know that's a whole nother podcast in itself. Um, Is there anything you want to say on that as we close? So again, that's a unique family conversation. Um, without, ha- without 
getting into the specifics of what that family's mission and vision is, then it's really hard to drill down on which is best. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave it at that. Very, very uh, good. The typical lawyer answer. Because that sounds like an attorney. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Well, it really does depend. And I mean, we're in the financial area, in the financial space, you're in the legal space. And in both of those, everything depends. And the reason we even have this conversation is that I want to show what it looks like to think through these challenges and come to something that works for you and your family. I am in no way saying you should all do it like me. What I am saying is these are valuable questions to think about in your family. How do you facilitate what you really want to happen, not just give the easy way out or not do the planning at all? Those are the two worst things. Don't To not do any planning or to say, uh, to heck with it, they'll figure it out on their own. So this conversation today was meant to be transparent, but also just really hoping to help you if you're thinking about estate planning to think about some of those questions and considerations, maybe in a unique way that you haven't thought of or considered before. And so, um, Stephen, is there anything you want to share as we close? Anything I think we, we covered as much as we can in an hour. So I, really I agree. Appreciate you guys let me, me talk with you today. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Bruce, did you have anything in closing? No, I think the, the, the most important thing that people need to, to take away from any of these kind of conversations is action. You know, if because we see this over and over and over. Oh, I think this is great, but I should have I started this 20 years ago. Well, if something comes up in your life where you're no longer able to do something because of extreme incapacitation or death, eh, it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you can't make any decisions at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I'm running into more and more people that don't care about that. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, well, I'll be dead. I don't really care what happens to my family. Uh, but the ones that do care about their family, take this to heart and action is the most important thing going forward. Yeah. And I, I, that is a good, uh, good reminder for me. And I will I will throw this in as a conclusion because attorneys automatically have a negative connotation when you say, I'm going to meet with an attorney or going to do um, an estate plan because you're thinking about time, you're thinking about money, you're thinking about, God, having to meet with an attorney of all things. But what Bruce said is really important is just take some action whether that's writing down something in a journal today about what your mission is or vision as a family and who, what makes you unique. You don't have to spend a dollar to do that. And so just taking small actions on a daily basis, like you've said, Rachel, several times during the conversation is extremely important. And so it doesn't mean having to do all this legal documentation. Just start with one little thing. I small love steps. That. Small steps, but quality steps. Yes. I think that should be people's uh, kind of overall um, mindset when it comes to anything going forward. Not small steps that are poorly thought out, but quality steps going forward. Yes. I love that. Well, thank you for listening today. Thank you for being part of this conversation. We invite your feedback and your questions. You can email us. You can comment on the live feed. You can send us a comment on our blog and we would be happy to be able to 
figure out the answers for you and be able to connect you with the people to help you make the right decisions for your family. So in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk, and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.